Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, amen. What a joy it has been this season of Eastertide as Roxy has walked alongside of us and, and essentially, for many of us, I think, taught us new things about God's creation and the forest and the process of rebirth and regrowth that happens out in nature after a devastating forest fire that I know I did not know much of what we are learning together. And last Sunday, we looked at vertical climbers, a phrase which I had never actually heard before uh, this sermon series, and it's, a, it's the technical name for vines or vine-like plants. And again, as Roxy has so eloquently walked us through this morning, we come to the canopy, that, that beautiful dome above in the forest that has such a profound impact on everything beneath. And on the church liturgical calendar, this morning is, is also what is known as Ascension Sunday. And sometimes you'll get a whole sermon just focused in on the story of Jesus' ascension and the Gospels. And this morning, we're going to kind of relate to ascension, but not preach to it directly. And the way in which we're going to relate to it is, is sort of in the movement that Jesus makes in, in the Gospels when he ascends. He is he's kind of handing the mantle, I say kind of, he's, he is handing the mantle of responsibility of the leadership of the resurrection movement that he began to his disciples, and in their receiving of that mantle, they're being transformed into apostles who would then go back out into the world and keep the movement moving forward. And I think there's some beautiful parallels that we can draw between the work that a, that a forest canopy does above for those realities beneath that are seeking to step up and to grow into the next right thing. And the way that we're going to biblically step into this theme this morning is to look at a text from the very end of our Bibles, the book of Revelation, and almost the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, where the, the author, John, he, he uses this incredible poetic language to describe this vision he has for, for sort of God's new beginning for the world. And he references this tree that, that we remember all the way back from the book of Genesis, the tree of life, but he casts it in a new light in this new iteration of God's kingdom, God's kingdom come here on the earth. And we're going to read that to get, to get our minds and our hearts in the framework of of entering into this morning's theme. So if you're in the room with us this morning, I invite you to stand for the reading of scripture. And if you are tuning in to the live stream, wherever you find yourself in this morning, I invite you to embrace a posture of receptivity, a posture that for you allows you to 
receive sacred words of scripture. And if it's helpful for you to close your, close your eyes or bow your head in this time as I read, please do that. If it's more helpful for you to follow along, you're welcome to do that. But from the book of Revelation, John chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night, no more need for lamp or for the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy and gracious creator, maker of all that is, author of all that is good. We gather this morning in this hybrid collective in body and spirit and mind and heart, and we seek you, God. I pray that as we seek your face, your truth, your goodness, your life, you would use these words that I have prepared to be your word for your people in this time. God, I ask that you would speak through them and were necessary in spite of me. And as I preach, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts across time and space would indeed be found right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our creator, God, our recreator, God, our hope. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. So, most of you know that I grew up kind of a country boy in the flat, flat, very flat farmlands of northern Indiana. And because of that, it was actually, and this is sort of funny now where I live, but it was several years, I don't remember how old I was, but it was several years before I had ever stepped foot myself into a housing development. I had never been to like a suburb. And because of this, when I, a friend of mine moved into a, a suburb, and after they had gotten settled, I got invited over to, to come over and play. And when I got to the house, I can still remember the question that I had was so imminent for me that I had to ask it out loud. I said, where are the trees? New houses everywhere all different shades of tan, I believe, back then. All similar structures, but there wasn't a mature tree in sight. And I just remember how striking it was and how weird it was. 
Because for me, I had grown up with the woods behind my house that had a creek that ran through it and a plethora of pine trees that my own parents had planted when they bought the place. So there were trees everywhere. So kind of home and mature trees sort of went together. So to come to this friend's new house and for there not to be a single tree or mature tree in sight was a little bit startling for me. Now, to be fair, there were these, these I don't know at what point they stopped being called saplings, but we'll just call them like little trees, like three and four foot trees that had, you know, the soil around them was, was dark and brown, so obviously someone had dug a hole, dropped the tree in, and then put the dirt back on. So they were transplants from a nursery, and these were kind of scattered throughout the, the development, but for their entire property, for their whole home, the developer was so generous that he gave them one of these little saplings, one tree on their entire property. And for me, you know, a, a tree-climbing addict that I was, I just couldn't quite fathom that how we were going to replace climbing the tree with the siding on the house. But I digress. But even at that young age, tangible or intangible, I, I, could, I could see that there's something about a mature tree, especially next to like your residence, your dwelling place, that, that provides like a sense of, of security, a sense of, of stability, of something lasting. Whereas when you just see like one house out in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing around it for miles, I don't know about you, but I get, for some reason I get a little bit anxious. If there were like three trees around the house, I'd probably be fine. But there's something about mature trees. And the more I reflected on this, I was taken back to when I first visited Atlanta to, to check out Candler, because I was considering going to seminary at Emory, and came in April, and, and it was just one of these banner years. Georgia must have gotten a lot of rain that summer because I, all I can remember is just lush, green leaves everywhere. And I was spellbound because I was coming down to Atlanta expecting this like rough, gritty urban center with graffiti everywhere and, you know, driving by Emory and they're like pretty buildings and vines and well-manicured, beautiful trees everywhere. And it was just kind of a shock. It wasn't quite what I had expected. And I remember really liking it and going, huh, maybe that's a big city that I could live in. So many trees, it was so green. And comparatively to the cities I had seen growing up, it was startling. And as some of you probably know, Atlanta has from time to time been called a city in a forest which I think is still a fitting name that, that captures an element. We, we do have one of the, as far as large cities go in the United States, we do actually have, ranking-wise, one of the, 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 the higher number of trees per, per people and per square feet. But that being said, since 1973, we've also cleared 380,000 acres of trees for retail development. And we've cleared 270,000 acres of trees for housing and another 180,000 acres for various nondescript things, I guess. 
And that's a lot of acres of trees, which also sends this sort of anxiety-producing message to us as a city that if we want to maintain our reputation as a city in the forest, what are we going to do in our communities to make sure we don't continue in the path of removing these beautiful, grand structures of stability and they give this sense of lasting history to, to where we live and to who we are. Apparently, what I intuited as a, as a kid when I was in that, that suburban development has also now been, been proven to be the case, to be true, from sort of an ecological and an environmental science standpoint. Maybe some of you have heard of the, the island effect. And essentially, Atlanta, since we've been taking more and more trees down over the last 30, 40 years, we're increasingly experiencing the island effect, which means that global warming aside, if the climate wasn't heating up, Atlanta would still be heating up and getting hotter because of how many trees we've removed. And what the study shows is that, and what, what he, scientists are showing is that, yes, it is true that the immediate place right beneath the tree is, is the coolest, but there is also this collective dimension when you're in a city like Atlanta with this many trees that together the trees can actually sort of lower the entire heat level for the whole place, for the whole group. Not just if you're standing under a tree, but just the whole kind of dome that is created by the trees. I also learned that apparently the leaves of certain kinds of trees can filter out pollutants. And it doesn't, I don't know that it hurts the trees, but it, but it takes, pulls pollutants out of the air. So on multiple levels and for multiple reasons, trees in the city of Atlanta are actually a really big deal because Lord knows if it gets any hotter, I'm not sure what we're going to do. It's got me thinking to last, last winter, January, February of 2020, when we walked through the Rooted and Grounded series together. And in one of the messages, we studied sort of the way that trees together relate as a sort of a communal organism and the reality that trees under the ground have these really delicate, beautiful root systems and that there's this, this microorganism that essentially has the capacity to move nutrients from one root system to another. So the trees can actually share if they have extra nutrient from either sunlight or from, from nutrition, they can share it with the roots of the other trees nearby through this microorganism. And I couldn't help but think about that as we were sort of considering the canopy this morning, starting back with sort of the tragedy of a wildfire that has this devastating impact on a historic forest and then slowly creation remaking itself and finally, eventually, the, the largest of the trees, the first, the pioneers rising above the group and beginning to grow their leaves out to where they 
intermingle with one another and create something as a group. It reminds me that the forest, the canopy, all of it, it's all relational. It's all about community and the spacing of the trees and how the trees interact with one another and how they see their place with the others, which got me to thinking again about that housing division, that suburb, my, my first exposure to tan upon tan upon tan square boxes. And I was thinking about that sole tree in the front yard of that new housing addition in, in sort of contrast to that same tree maybe growing up with, with the canopy over and surrounding it. And I kind of asked myself, if I were a tree, which one would I prefer to be? And I don't know how you would answer. I know how I would answer. It sounds pretty miserable to be that one lonely seedling, the only of its kind in the front yard of, of this subdivision, if I could go be in a community with a canopy of more mature, deep root system beneath me, and the root system is what really got to me because if you think about these, these ancient forests, they're just swelling with, with root systems underneath of them. So if you're a sapling, all you really need to do is get a root down and latch underneath one of those bigger roots that's already, already beneath you. But if you're in a new subdivision that was formerly farmland, there may be no roots below you to, to latch onto, which means that, that a sapling growing all by itself in the middle of the front yard, of this new commercial real estate area, it might have to focus more on its root system than it can even on its growth above the soil because to survive, it has to find something to anchor to because it doesn't have community. It doesn't have any maturity around it. It doesn't have anything supporting it. It doesn't have a canopy. So it has to dig as deep as it can possibly dig just to survive. And the more I thought about that little tree, the more I was like, this, this is kind of depressing. <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. I went, Did he make it? Did she make it? The chances of survival seemed like they were probably a lot lower. The Indiana wind, especially in the wintertime, can get pretty vicious as it whips across the flatlands and the crops are not in, in the ground to block it. Whereas if it were a part of a forest, it would have trees and foliage to break the wind, to keep it from snapping and be surrounded by ancestral trees. Which all kind of got me thinking about society. And I know it sounds weird to go from trees to society, but I guess that's how my mind works. And thinking about, beginning with the climbers from last week, the vertical climbers, we find kudzu and ivy and these, these vines that grow quickly and grow on everything to be annoying and frustrating. But I think there's also a part of me that has to stand back in awe of them because they're considered like invasive species. Have you ever been considered an invasive species? Like that's not a fun category to live in. Yet they remarkably continue to grow and to prevail and to get to the sun. And I just wonder like where in our society in this country, in the whole planet, but, but specifically for us, like where do we throw shade on 
on vertical climbers, when in reality we should be sort of amazed that these, these, these people who, who didn't have all of the fortune and support systems have been able to, to crawl and climb their way to a place in life that is surprising. Vertical climbers, they're, they're these versatile, robust, creative, organic realities that can take the worst situation and somehow figure out a path. And then let's think about our canopy in the lone tree on the other hand and think about our society because I think that like in the United States, we have so thoroughly swallowed the, the sort of pill of Western individualism that it has contaminated everything that we come in contact with and everything we think about and everything we touch. We, we've convinced ourselves almost that, that it's the I that is the most important thing in all situations and conversations. And, and the I seems to always have the upper, upper foot over the we. And I just don't see, as we look around the, the communities in our own country and the humans that we know and come into contact with, I'm not sure that, that being raised as with, with, with I being the primary way that you see humanity, I, I'm not sure that it's good for any of us, that it's particularly healthy. It's not to say that we're not all individuals and we need to, to know who we are and to work with ourselves and to love ourselves and, and to grow. That's not the point. The point is when, when it becomes me and mine as opposed to everyone else that, that I think that this image of the canopy can really kind of hit home. Because what is the canopy? But it's the tallest of all the trees that have done the most growth, right? It's the ones who've ascended the highest and they have agreed to link arms to link leaves. They've agreed to be in proximity close enough to one another to actually do this thing together, creating a canopy. For what reason? What, how does it benefit them? I don't know. But I do know that it benefits the whole world underneath them. And it just makes me wonder, what if, what if those who have ascended in our society could, could kind of move away from this idea that like their ascension is for them and them alone so that they can be fully self-actualized or whatever, but they can take that ascended state and, and privilege and gather it with others and create this society with a canopy that creates a safe haven and harbor for all the saplings and everything smaller and weaker and still growing and maturing underneath of it. Like it's a whole different framework for society. You don't grow to outgrow everybody else quicker or to get there faster so that you get the best seat, etc. No, no. You grow with your group because your group has intention to create this canopy of protection over a society so that nobody falls through the cracks and gets forgotten and gets left out. And all the while there's mentoring and there is cultivation and there is love poured, poured onto everyone else who's coming up, as Roxy said in her meditation, to, to be the future canopy someday when they grow and they ascend. 
And I love how this image, it, it draws together both, as Methodists, as Wesleyans, it draws together both individual growth and holiness in my relationship with God and my growth as a human being, and it pulls it into community, and it says, and it's so that we're all rising together so that we can all do this thing together. We can, we can put our arms together and create something that is, that is giving and beautiful for everyone around. I think it's a beautiful metaphor and a helpful one. And I think it's one that, that I want to live with personally, but, but also is a participant in the faith community, specifically East Side, as, as we kind of are moving on the other side of COVID. Because I think COVID, if it, did, if it did anything, it definitely reiterated sort of this Western individualism, I'm going to hunker down in my house and take care of my business and make sure I got my stuff taken care of. But we can't keep living in that forever. And we can't also forget what it means to be humans together in vicinity with one another, and that's what the canopy is. It's trees together in vicinity with one another, working together to create this reality that blesses everything underneath of it. What does it look like for the church on the other side of all that has been to, to ask? What does it look like for us to, in a new way, organize and create a community that is safe and beautiful and protective and fostering of growth for everything within it and under it. Because I think that if there's one thing that we as a world need help with probably more than ever, it's how to, how to simply be communities together. And I don't care if you're talking about church or school systems or local mayoral politics or governors. I don't care which community you're talking about, I don't know that we're, we're doing a great job of, of living together in simple community and loving one another well and functioning in basic adult sorts of ways. And I don't know, I don't know how to fix all of that out there, but I do wonder, I do wonder, like, as the church slowly comes back together, what if... What if we were able to recognize that we're all over the world? Christian, Christians are all over the world, and we all have some form of church together, which is community. And what if like, the church could see part of its role in society moving forward is to be a model, like a prototype of, hey, here's how healthy functioning communities can be together. And if you want to study that sociologically, Go find the Christians in that town and see how they relate to one another because it's going to be, it's surprising and it's beautiful and we can learn from that. Could the church be in a place to set an example as we come back together because one of the, you know, change, human change experts always say that, that times like these are the times where when you've stepped out of something long enough and you're, you're, you're on the precipice of stepping back into something. That's really the time, if you were ever gonna make a change in your personal life, or in your corporate life, or in your collective life, or in your institutions, that, that's the time to do it. 
because you're, you're sort of open and the old habits have been on pause and it's, it's, it's an opportunity to do something different. And I just wonder, and I don't even know how, how, how to get this message out to the worldwide church. I guess that's the Holy Spirit's job, right? But you can, that was a joke. It's not, but it's, it's true, but it was supposed to be funny. I'm not used to having people in the room. Um, like the guy playing tennis with himself on the wall. Um, what would it look like for us to, to take seriously this idea that, yeah, forest fires come through and it has been devastating, but the resurrection is also more powerful than the forest fire of death, and God is at work in God's church, and God wants to use us, and we are being resurrected, and there is a huge future that could be open if we're willing to say, yeah, what does it look like for me to to personally myself change in this season, but also like the way that I collectively relate to this, to this body, to this corporate body, and how could we be a witness to Atlanta of how humans might interact with one another in a way that is different, that is non-egocentric, that is not I, but that is we, and that creates a canopy of the powerful to sacrifice and to give and to love for all those who are relying on that. May, may we just ask those questions and ponder those thoughts as we head into Pentecost next week. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sustainer, amen and amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.